Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 829 of Locked On Raptors for Friday, November the 20th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can also find the show on all of your favorite podcast providers. Leave a rating, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It's very much appreciated when you go ahead and do that. It helps us out with rankings and algorithms and having nice, warm, massaged egos. So thank you in advance for taking the time. All right, on today's show, we are continuing to learn all about the Toronto Raptors' first-round pick from this year's draft, Malachi Flynn, with a wonderful guest. Mark Ziegler is a reporter who covers the San Diego State Aztecs for the San Diego Union-Tribune, and he was kind enough to join me to dive into Malachi Flynn and what makes him tick and what he's bringing to the Raptors in terms of his on-court play on offense, on defense, how he's going to play off the ball versus on the ball, and some good personal anecdotes about the one year that Mark was able to cover Malachi Flynn in San Diego this year. And I think you're going to enjoy it. I think you're going to really feel as though you know Malachi Flynn a lot more after hearing this chat with someone who covered him in person for his one year with the Aztecs. Uh, we'll get to that in a sec. I just wanted to hit a couple of notes. Uh, just a note, I'm recording this at like 7 p.m. on Thursday, so there's a very good chance some stuff has happened to make everything out of date as it pertains to free agency. But some news did just come down. The Raptors have extended qualifying offers to Chris Boucher, O'Shea Brissett, and Nando DiColo, baby! This is the year baby he's coming back no he's not but that's fine uh it's the customary annual thing that our friend blake murphy gets very excited about the uh qualifying offer for nando DiColo. of course uh qualifying offer just maintains your rfa rights if they were not issued qualifying offers brissette boucher and DiColo would be unrestricted for agents free to sign with whoever the hell they damn well please that is not the case now they have rfa rights on those guys so i think the most likely thing here is that the Raptors just, uh, you know, they don't go ahead and give them like long-term deals or anything like that. That is RFAs. Probably, I would expect, especially in Boucher's case, he'll accept the qualifying offer and just go into next season making a couple million bucks and see if he can earn himself a bigger contract next year when he hits UFA. In terms of Brissett, uh, you know, I would imagine... He's more likely to get some sort of commitment from the team, but also he was a two-way guy. You know, I could see him getting upgraded to being a full-time Raptor for sure and getting upgraded from two-way to a full-time one-way NBA deal. I think he showed enough last year to show that there's at least some defensive potential to mine there. How far the offense comes, I don't really know. And there's not going to be a ton of G League time, it seems, this season for Brissett to kind of hone the craft that they really seem to 
give him an opportunity to kind of work on last year in the latter parts of the G League season. He got the ball in his hands a lot more, was able to create after you know using up his 45 days pretty quickly with the team because of all the injuries early on in the season. Uh, the last part of the season was spent him just kind of playing out of his comfort zone a little bit on offense. So maybe there's something there. I don't know. We'll see with O'Shea Brissett. Um, but those guys will not be leaving unbridled, at least. Uh, there will have to be an offer sheet to sign them away. And I don't really think any teams are going to throw a ton of money at Chris Boucher or O'Shea Brissett on offer sheets. doesn't feel like a very offer sheety offseason, considering doing an offer sheet ties up cap space for the seven days if a team wants to take all seven days to match. And that seems maybe like not a great idea when there's like 11 days before the season starts and the free agency is going to fly uh, very, very quickly here. So uh, I think it's likely that Brissett and Boucher are back. We'll keep you covered on that, of course. Uh, let's get to it now. The conversation with myself and Mark Ziegler of the San Diego Union Tribune. Uh, before we get to that conversation and learn all about Malachi Flynn, though, I want to tell you about Built Go, which you've heard me talk about before. It is the new product from our pals over at Built Bar, and it is a great way to break through the wall that we all hit at some point during the day, whether it's you woke up early and you get to the afternoon and you're dragging ass or whatever it might be. Built Go can help you get through it. It's easy to take in 1.5 ounce packages. You can store it anywhere in your briefcase, your backpack, in your golf bag, in your gym bag, whatever it might be, even in your in your pocket. Why not just stick it in your pocket? It's so easy. It's an ounce and a half. It's nothing. It's like putting your keys in there. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's essentially a five-hour energy shot without the same crash feeling, plus it's natural, so it's better for the body. It's like drinking one of those very sugary, nasty uh, monster or jolt or any of these other horrifyingly named energy drinks but it has a third of the caffeine and better results it's got three delicious flavors for you to try peanut butter honey chocolate coconut and chocolate mint much better than electric lime or something disgusting like that in a regular energy drink plus built go combines energy gel with collagen protein which is why it works so darn well collagen protein is fast absorbing so it gets into your system fast it's easy on the stomach and it promotes joint soft tissue hair and skin health so it literally makes you look better. Built Go is also loaded with the good stuff to help ignite your work. Beta alanine, B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine, plus B6 and B12 vitamins, 10,000% of your daily percentage of those vitamins to keep you going strong throughout the day. Visit BuiltGo.com right now and use the promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, and you'll get 20% off your next order. That is the promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. All right, joining me now on Locked On Raptors is a man who covers the San Diego State Aztecs for the San Diego Union Tribune and thus knows quite well the Toronto Raptors' newest first-round pick, Malachi Flynn. It is Mark Ziegler who's uh, very graciously taking some time to join the show today to teach us all about Malachi Flynn. Mark, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, my pleasure. Great to be here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's nice to talk to you, and I'm excited to learn about Malachi Flynn, a guy who... I think a lot of Raptors fans kind of knew he was in the range for them at 29. Uh, there, after the fact, there was a lot of reporting about how the Raptors had, you know, d- done a lot of work and sort of digging on Malachi Flynn. Um, you reported that as well in your in your piece uh, about the draft pick last night. Um, I, I'm curious, just off the top. I mean, the Raptors certainly have a type. You know, they 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 look they, for these you know multi year college guys. These guys with sort of a a personal pedigree in addition to being very good on the floor. What kind of guy, first of all, before we get to the on-court stuff, are the Raptors getting at Malachi Flynn? Because he seems like a pretty good dude who really kind of fits in with what the Raptors want to do. Well, the first thing I would say is is look at, um, you, you can tell a little bit about uh, where he was on draft night. So 
a lot of these, most of these guys are with their families, but uh, you know, they've got an agent there. Uh, they might be in a rental property. Um, you know, they're really wearing this designer fancy suit with special lapels and all that. <laughs> He's sitting on his couch with his six brothers and sisters in Tacoma, Washington in their home. Right. And uh, what you couldn't see on cameras, if you went into his bedroom around the corner from there, he'd have no trophies or, or medals in it. He doesn't keep those things. Huh. They, they, you know, they're important to win. He, he, he appreciates the awards. But, uh, you know, a few months back, he was named the Mountain West Conference Athlete of the Year, not just basketball player of the year, but athlete for all sports. And they play football. They play, you know, uh, 10, maybe a dozen sports across the entire conference, men and women. And I asked him, I said, what are you going to do with the trophy? Because it's, I guess it's a pretty nice trophy. And he said, I don't know. I said, well, you know, you're in your room right now, right? He goes, yeah. I go, well, do you have your other trophies hanging, you know, in your room? Do you have a, a place to put them? He goes, no, I don't have anything in here. I just give them <laughs> my parents. They do whatever they want with them. And so he, he's a family guy. He's not big on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you saw him. He hugged his sisters and his brothers. And I, when you ask him, what do you do on your free time? He goes, oh, I'm just pretty much an easygoing guy and I'm up for whatever. And I just kind of hang around at home and we have so many brothers and sisters that someone's up, up to something. So I'll do that. Or we, you know, we hang around and talk and uh, that's what he did the night before the draft. Didn't go out, didn't party, just hung around with his brothers and sisters and talked. And so he is a grounded, grounded guy. Um, he's very unassuming, very quiet. But yet he's very confident in his abilities, which you want on a basketball floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has that swagger to him, but he's not going to talk a lot of noise. Um, and, uh, you know, I, there's a great line from a, a, a college basketball coach in, in the United States named um, Bo Ryan. He coached Wisconsin, took him to a Final Four, and produced a lot of pro players. And, but he had a very similar type of player, and his big line was, I want guys who have more questions than answers. Right. And that's kind of how Malachi is. Yeah, that's uh, I mean, that sounds again kind of exactly like the Raptors love that sort of uh, you know, grounded family atmosphere type thing. So I think he'll fit right in, no doubt there. Um, he also you know seems to strike as like a very competitive guy on the floor. Um, you know, there, there was a piece that I was reading on the Union Tribune site today about how he played through food poisoning after eating a bad burrito this year, and like his coaches were <laughs> like, oh yeah, he of course he was going to do that. Obviously, like we were never even worried about it. Um, in in terms. In terms of sort of the competitiveness uh, element, you know, obviously the Raptors have a lot of guys who kind of play with a bit of an edge, a bit of an FU attitude. You got Fred VanVleet, you got uh, Kyle Lowry, the whole group. Um, is that sort of, you mentioned he's got that sort of competitiveness and swagger on the floor. Is that something that Raptors fans can expect? You know, I, you know, the Raptors, I like to say that they're a team who just like to collect a bunch of MFers to play. Uh, is that sort of where you think Flynn will, will fit in as well? Because it, it does seem, that, you know, he even spoke about this last night in his availability, that guys like Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet are very much guys that he tries to model himself afterwards. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, San Diego State recruits to that. Um, if you listen to their coach, and I, I think I had a quote from him where he says, you know, he talks about his swagger and how he's confident, how he thinks he's the best player on the floor and he thinks he's good. And there's a really fine line between thinking you're good and saying you're good. And he thinks he's good, but he doesn't say he's good. And I, I, I get that sense. I, I came to Toronto and did a story when Kawhi Leonard was there, um, who obviously was the, the, the last first round pick the San Diego State had. And Kawhi Leonard's the same way. I mean, maybe to the nth degree, uh, because he really doesn't talk very much. And Malachi doesn't have a lot to say, but he'll, he'll talk a little bit more than this. But 
they're very similar in that way. They're quietly very, very confident and they want to beat you every time on the floor. And so, you know, when he came out and decided he was going to go into the draft, um, you know, at the time he was late second round, if that, I mean, you know, maybe a few mock drafts happened in the forties, most had him in the fifties or not even getting drafted. And he just said, look, I just need to get to a combine and then I'll, I'll show people what I can do. I'll show the scouts. They'll see. Right. And he didn't say it in a cocky way, but he just, you know, he was confident in his abilities and, and, and his ability to compete on the floor. And, and, you know, competing is to me, it's a part of it is, is the fire and the competitiveness and wanting to win. But a lot of it is sort of like a math equation, right? right. It's, it's figuring out what's what, what the variables are given to you on the floor. And they're always changing and moving. And within that, particularly as a, as a lead guard, you have to figure it out and, and figure out how to win within those uh, the confines of those variables. And, and, and that's where his competitiveness comes in. He loves that challenge of trying to figure out, okay, on the screen roll, how's the guy playing it? What can I do? Can I look somebody off? Can I turn the corner? Can I step back? Can I twist the ball screen? All those things. Um, he just thrives on that. And, and uh, that, that's kind of what makes him a special player. But he's had to do that his whole life. He's, mm-hmm. he's been tiny his whole life. And even now he's undersized. And, and that's, I think, kind of fueled that fire. Yeah, and a little bit of film I have watched, he does really seem to have that sort of cerebral sort of approach to things. And I do think one of the biggest sort of things in his favor coming or, you know, that people were talking about going into the draft and after the pick was made last night is that he is one of the best pick and roll operators in the country. He's a guy who, um, you know, kind of always looks for a good shot out of a possession and is like sort of hell bent on getting one. And you can kind of see that when he's operating a pick and roll and sort of seeing all the different options at play. Um, you know, is that fair? You know, the, 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 the praise of his pick and roll operation and the way he sort of runs an offense, is that something that you think absolutely holds up? Having watched him play for a year with San Diego State, uh, like, is that a very warranted reputation? Yeah, and so what's interesting is so San Diego State played against him when he was at Washington State. That's where he went his first two years yeah. uh, for college. And lost to them in a game that was kind of an embarrassing loss. Washington State's not – it wasn't a great program, hasn't been for the last few years. And San Diego State's, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the top uh, – you know, there's in the United States, there's the power conferences and there's the next tier, and they're in the next tier. But they're better than most power conference teams. They're a top 50 team every year. And last year they are number – six as high as number four in the country and went 30 and two. And mm-hmm. so they're a very good program. They lost to Malachi's Washington state team and Malachi kind of lit him up, but he was a two guard. And when they, when Malachi decided to transfer after the season, they were, they jumped on him because they knew how good he was just from, from studying the film before that game and then seeing him in, you know, in person beat them. Uh, and it kind of stung. And so, but what changed in him, you know, in, 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 in this rules about to change, unfortunately, but, uh, when you transfer, you, you generally have to sit out a year. And so he came to San Diego state and sat out a whole year and just worked on skills and kind of took a step back, took a breath, uh, and, and kind of reconfigured his game. And the big change for me is exactly what we were talking about is becoming a pick and roll operator mm-hmm. because, uh, he was known as a shooter, uh, a scorer, and they would just sort of get him the ball off screens and, and then he would, he would shoot or drive or do whatever, but he was coming off of an action as opposed to having the ball at the top and then creating that action. Um, and, and that's what changed in him. And that's the big step I saw in him last year is being able to, to, uh, run pick and roll. And the other thing that, that they did was they went out and got a, a graduate transfer from Vanderbilt who very few people had ever heard of. He's from New Zealand, a guy named Yanni Wetzel, six foot 10, but a very cerebral player as well. Mm-hmm. Could pick and pop, shoot the three, but also could roll, had some good inside moves. And 
they just put those two guys in the pick and roll. And so he had, uh, besides being very good himself, he had a guy who also was on that same level um, uh, of intellect and basketball IQ to work with. And that kind of raised his game to yet even another level because he could take things instead of maybe first, second or third option, he could look at four five and six too, right. uh, because he had someone experienced who could read the screens with him and slip them and they could kind of get in sync. So yeah, that that's, 100% where he where he elevated his game and I think made himself much more appealing to the NBA scout than maybe he was at Washington State. Interesting. So, you know, the, I think the the other sort of read on Flynn coming out of the pick last night is that he's kind of a guy who doesn't do anything poorly. He, you know, he's a pretty good shooter. He's not like a 45% three-point shooter or anything like that. I think he was 37 this past year on a pretty high usage. Um, you know, he's a good pick and roll operator. He's, you know, he's not the strongest guy in the world, but he's supposed to be a pretty good uh, team defender at the very least. And that's kind of where I, where I, where I want to go next because you know, the Raptors have managed to survive with two six-footers in their backcourt with Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet because of how good they are defensively and because they can guard up. Um, you know, I don't think Flynn is expected necessarily to be someone who can, you know, dig it in the post against a six-foot-eight guy and, you know, stonewall him the way a Kyle Lowry can because of that big booty. But um, in terms of the defensive end of the floor, which I think is, if you're at, looking at the questions with Flynn, that's probably where things come up a little bit more, even though he is pretty solid. You know, what kind of defender is he? Is he someone who is, you know, more at home away from the ball? Is he someone who's going to be a point of attack defender the way a Fred Van Vliet is? How do you think his defense will profile in the NBA? Well, I think, you know, it's funny because he was the Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year, according to the media. Right. Uh, we have a media poll and a coach's poll. And, and, um, and I, you know, I think that is, despite that, I think that is, you're right, that's going to be the area that he's going to have to, prove himself the most what was interesting on that team they had it was a very good team very experienced team they had another guard named kj fagan um who was the primary perimeter defender malachi was not and so it was a shock to me and shocked everybody else that he was the defensive player of the year because i thought kj was far and away because kj uh guarded the best perimeter player in the team and as you saw in this draft i mean a lot of people probably in toronto never heard of the mountain west conference uh it is a very good conference you had four players drafted this year <clears throat> and uh, all of them were guards. Mm -hmm. uh, you had Sam Merrill. Um, you had from Utah State. You had Justinian Jessup by the Warriors. You had uh, Jalen Harris, of course, also by the Raptors from Nevada. Mm -hmm. um, KJ guarded all those guys, not Malachi. Right. And so Malachi usually got the second guard. Uh, but that said, where he really, really excelled, and there's some probably some some great clips that people can can go find one in particular that it comes to mind against Fresno state that basically won them the game. He's very good at, at using his, his stature to sneak in on post players from behind and strip the ball. Okay. I mean, he has a great knack on timing of, of looking like he's clearing out with his player, then spinning around and coming on a blind side and, and, and uh, getting steals. So he had a very high steal rate. Uh, and that I think is probably what, what voters looked at when they're voting on, on defensive player of the year. And that's probably why he got it. He's not a terrible defender by any means, um, but he's not, like you said, the on ball uh, in your, in your face, in your jock type uh, defender. He's, he's going to have to work on that. Uh, and I think he'll get there. Uh, but I think that's the area that, that, you know, maybe could be exposed. I mean, it's not like he's a terrible defender by any means. I mean, San Diego state is one of the elite college defensive teams. They learn how to play real defense, mm -hmm. help side defense. So that transition 
uh, is much easier. That's why Kawhi Leonard was drafted when he was drafted. He was not drafted for his offensive skills at all in college. It was right. because of his rebounding, but mostly because of his defense. So they understand he can play defense, but he's going to have to take that up, you know, a half level, I think, in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, the book on him is that he tries really hard at all times on defense, which with the Raptors is often sort of the thing they want, right? It, you know, it's a team that prides itself on everybody being good at defense and being able to contribute. And also it's a team that is extremely focused on team defense and rotations and knowing where the next guy is going to be. And to me, that sounds like the skill set that Flynn's going to bring. I mean, they've got Fred Van Vliet as long as he resigns, which seems pretty likely, uh, and Kyle Lowry for the on-ball stuff for those sort of lead guards. So um, that sounds all right to me. Uh, as, as far as off-ball, you know, he had the ball in his hands a lot this season. You know, I, I think he will have the ball in his hands quite a bit. I, I figure he might get some keys once in a while to the second unit for the Raptors, considering Fred Van Vliet does start, assuming he's back. Um, but, you know, away from the ball is, you know, say that Flynn does play a bit with Kyle Lowry. Say he plays with the, the, the three-guard lineup that the Raptors sometimes will throw out there. Is he someone mm -hmm. who can work away from the ball? When he's not operating a pick-and-roll, what does he do well? Well, that's that's what he was at Washington State. and. Right. and that's what he was known for. He, he has an incredible amount of range um, that you might not always see in college because the, the, obviously the line's a lot closer. Uh, every day in practice, and I saw this over and over, practice would end, and then there's one other player who also, I mean, the, the whole team is gym rats, and that's the other thing you have to understand about him. He is the ultimate gym rat. I mean, that guy, he is, uh, and that's why St. State's so good. They have a bunch of sort of undervalued players but love to be in the gym. And so they practice every day in the afternoon from one to four at six or seven in the morning, the entire team's in the gym working out, shooting on their own, working on skills, uh, dragging coaches in there to help them. Uh, and Malachi, uh, that was one of the reasons he came to San Diego State. He's like, you know, I, I thought I was kind of weird because I love to be in the gym working on my shot. And here's a whole gym full of guys doing it, <laughs> a whole team of doing them. And, and so he is a very good shooter. But what he used to do after practice every single day was he'd work on uh, not even just NBA three pointers, but Steph Curry range three pointers. Right. And you, and you know, the famous clip of him is is winning the game against San Jose State um, with a very deep 27, 28 foot jumper over three guys. Uh, he worked on that shot every day, uh, and so he can shoot it, and he can shoot it deep, and he can space the floor deep. So he does not have to have the ball. And the other thing about him is, you know, some guys who are used to having the ball, and then you take them off the ball. Uh, and I can speak for this. I was a high school coach in San Diego for 12 years and, they, and it's at all levels of basketball. And it's what they call, you get guys start getting thirsty right? and they haven't held the ball and they're getting antsy and you can see it. They, they're just like, I haven't got enough shots up. I'm going to take the next, next time I touch it, I'm shooting it. And, and he has this very mature way about him. He doesn't have to score. Uh, he'll be perfectly content spacing if that's what he's He's required to do space the floor. And if I get it, I shoot it. If I don't, okay, I'm fine with that. As long as the team's winning, I, there were games where he didn't score in the first half or had very, very low output. I talked to his high school coach. He goes, I happen all the time for that. He, he, he averaged 20, 29 points a game as a senior in high school. But you know, I think in the first half he averaged six, he was just getting people involved. He right. just wanted to see the flow of the game. And if it was called upon him or he felt the need, he has that internal instinct to flip a switch, say, okay, I gotta go get some points. And so I think he's going to be completely 100% content. And I think that's something when the Raptors, we talked about doing that next level of research and peeling back another layer of the onion. That's something they learned uh, when you talk to the coaches and you talk to teammates about him and you watch enough film, you can sense that. And, and that allows you to go off, off the ball and not have the ball and be okay. And, and a lot of players, 
in the league who were so used their entire lives of being this dominant ball guard. It's a very, very hard adjustment mentally and, and, and positionally. And, mm-hmm. and he's, that's not going to be a problem at all for him. I'm very much sold. Uh, you know, I, I, on this podcast, it was uh, a running bit where the only player I wanted in the draft was Xavier Tillman from Michigan State. I was disappointed when it wasn't Tillman in the draft, but learning more about Flynn and kind of catching up on the tape and stuff, it seems like he's very, very much a Raptors-ass player, which I am uh, yes. I'm on board with. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. You mentioned uh, Jalen Harris, another Mountain West player. Um, obviously not your primary beat, but obviously you saw him at least a couple times. I would assume uh, in the one year, it's interesting. Both yep. Flynn and, and Harris only spent the one year in the Mountain West. But uh, do you have a read on Harris for Raptors fans? I think he was much more of a mystery when he was picked at fifty nine. I certainly didn't know much about him when he was picked. I had a couple other guys that I kind of had prepared for, and he was not on that list. So a uh, little Cole's notes on Jalen Harris and what Raptors fans can expect from what you've seen. So I, I suspect what happened is they got in on Flynn early and they started watching film and they saw Jalen Harrison in the film right. or in games they saw last year. Uh, this happened two years ago. San Diego State had the last player San Diego State had drafted. I uh, went in the second round. Uh, Jalen McDaniels, who was the older brother of Jaden McDaniels, yeah. who went one pick before um, Malachi last night. And and uh, Jalen was picked. And then they also picked a Nevada player as well in the same draft. Right. And uh, and 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 I, I and the reverse was probably true there. They were looking at the the, the uh, Nevada player, and then they ended up taking. You know, they saw enough of Jalen. They kind of got Cody Martin, and, right? And Cody Martin, yeah. yes. And his brother also played on the team as twin, right? Uh, who they signed as a as an undrafted free agent. So, uh, Caleb, and and so uh, they, I, I think there was probably a little bit of this. Um, you know, Jalen. Uh, Jalen's an incredibly talented scorer and he's bigger than Malachi. He's got a little bit more size and length to him. He's a little bit more athletic. He's more of your typical NBA prospect uh, in that, you know, his measurables are very good. Uh, he can shoot it. Uh, he has a shoot, shoots the ball kind of up above kind of behind his head. It's tough to block. Uh, he can get it off and he can score in bunches. And in fact, in the game uh, they played at Nevada late in the season last year, uh, I think it was actually the last regular season game. Uh, Jalen had an unbelievable first half of just, just filling it. And, and, uh, and then all of a sudden Malachi, like I just talked about, you know, very patient and people involved just kind of took over the game and was driving by people. They couldn't handle the pick and roll. He was, he was pulling, you know, stepping back and hitting threes. And he was, you know, head faking and going under a guy and dribbling and scooping and layups. I just remember I was sitting on the baseline and it was just one scoop layup after another. And guys were flying over trying to block it and they couldn't get incredibly frustrated. Hmm. And, um, and so the, the, the thing with Jalen is I think he's going to have to improve his defense. Right. Uh, he played for a coach in Steve Alford, who is not known as a defensive coach and at all, anywhere in any, any stop he's been. Um, and in fact, probably one of the reasons he was fired at UCLA is the defense just wasn't good enough. Right. Uh, and, he, and he just emphasizes offense and his system's built for a two guard. So offensively, Jalen was going to get a lot of looks and a lot of points, but Defensively, uh, he he probably hasn't had the same kind of intense off-ball training that Malachi has, an understanding of the team game and rotations. So he's going to have a ways to go there. I, I would suspect he'd be a G League player, uh, but he does have potential and 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 has a chance. Um, but I mean, like I said, four guys out of this league, all guards drafted, uh, and 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 you know he can play and he can play with guys from power conferences. So he's he's certainly a talent. 
Exciting stuff. Mark, this was awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to fill us in on a couple of guys that Raptors fans will, I'm sure, get to know quite well in the coming weeks and years and months and all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, it was it was lovely talking to you. Do you have any pieces or anything like that on Flynn or Harris or whoever, uh, maybe Kawhi Leonard back in the day, that people should go and check out? Well, you just probably Google me and my, my name, uh, Mark Ziegler, Z-E-I-G-L-E-R in the Union Tribune and just names of players. You'll probably come up with some. I wrote one about Kawhi and his time in in Toronto and, mm-hmm. and uh, when I was there and, and uh, I've written extensively about him. And then I, I just wrote one about Malachi uh, recently and his and the court he grew up on in his driveway I thought was really fascinating. Uh, he just drew, you know, he grew up playing outdoors, which a lot of guys on the West Coast don't. It's kind of, you know, people considered soft out here and most guys playing gyms and grew up outdoors and on a hoop uh, that didn't have a lot of room behind the free throw line, but had tons of rooms on the side, which is mm. one reason he's so good at, at, at wing deep jumpers. Huh. Um, and then, and he grew up in a park that had triple rims. You've heard of double rims, but this was a triple rim just so nobody would dunk on it. <laughs> and you really, really have to arc a ball up high. That's why you'll notice on the shot so high arcing. And it's from that. Uh, and so I thought that, uh, it was fun talking to him about his, his court and his experiences growing up with his brothers, older brothers, always losing, playing against bigger guys. And one of the thing I, I think, you know, I, I didn't mention earlier, I think that will help his transition in Toronto yeah. is, uh, I, coming from the Pacific Northwest Tacoma, which is really about two and a half hours from the Canadian border. Uh, people up there have much more of an orientation, uh, towards Canada and understand Canada, right. uh, just like people here in Southern California. Uh, orient to Mexico and understand the culture more than people in the rest of the country might right. might do. So I think his transition to Canadian and, and, you know, the subtle differences in culture will be very, very smooth because I think he's probably, you know, a lot of people live in Seattle, no Canadians, and there's a lot of cross border traffic and cultural exchanges. And so I think he'll be much more in tune um, to Canada. And, 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 and I think the transition to Toronto will be, will be really, really smooth for him. I think Seattle and Toronto in many ways are, are, are similar type of cities in terms of culture and and vibe and so i think it's uh i I think that'll be a great it's a great spot for him in that way as well poor guy it's going to be a strange culture shock going to tampa bay for maybe the first half or the entirety of this season as they yeah uh, there you go (laughs) as they are uh migrants uh looking for a place to play uh but mark uh, thanks so much this was awesome and uh if anything crazy happens with malachi flint we might have to get you back on again to uh to just sort of wax more poetic on him. This was awesome, and I think Raptors fans uh, very much appreciate the insight, so thank you. My pleasure, anytime. That's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back again either Friday evening with like a second Friday episode or Saturday, depending on what happens in free agency. We might get news on Fred Van Vliet pretty early. It's hard to say, but Katie Heindel is going to join me, and we're going to talk all about free agency once some news comes down, so stay tuned for that. Uh, until then, subscribe to, rate, review, all that good stuff. Find me on Twitter at WoodleySean, and uh, have a good one, everybody. Enjoy the free agency madness that's about to unfold, and uh, we'll talk to you soon with another episode of Locked on Raptors. (laughs) 